Did you know that God will even take your weaknesses and he will use them to bring about his purposes? He does that. And that is true. But we must also remember at the same time, Samson is self-destructing. You know what the Bible says, folks? Pride goes before a destruction. Haughty spirit before a fall. Samson thought, found that out way too late. But you know what? Doesn't need to be you. Are you aware of your strengths and weaknesses? Are you aware of your need for God every single day? Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. They call it the 27 Club, and it's one club you don't want to join. You see, the history of the 27 Club goes all the way back to rock and rollers Dickie Pride, Brian Jones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, all died at the age of 27 in a three-year period of time from 69 to 71. Altogether, Wikipedia has just kept on adding to the list. 75 celebrities have died at the age of 27, including singer Kurt Cobain. When his mom heard he died, she said, now he's gone and joined that stupid club. I told him not to join that stupid club. That's what his mom said. 17 years after Cobain passes, rock singer Amy Whitehouse dies of alcohol poisoning at 27. Three years earlier, her personal assistant told the British press that Amy was fearing that she would join the 27 Club. That's because Amy told them, I have this feeling that I'm going to die young. In 2019, star baseball pitcher Tyler Skaggs also died from drugs at age 27. The next year, he's joined by Elvis Presley's grandson, Benjamin Keough, who commits suicide at 27. And so the saga continues. Now, researchers insist that death at 27 is not a statistical anomaly. But what is fascinating is that all of these people achieved superstar status at such an early age. Put simply, fame, fortune, and youth are a deadly mixture. Most of us, even us older ones, we do not possess the maturity to be an instant celebrity. Do you remember last summer Vikings first round draft pick Jordan Addison stopped by the state troopers going 140 and a 55 at 3 a.m. in the morning? But what do you expect when you give a 21-year-old a new Lamborghini? Now, I hope Jordan has learned his lesson. He's going to have a short career. Such a man was Samson in the Bible. 
According to chronologist Archbishop Usher, uh, Samson died at the age of 38. Chronologist Floyd T. Jones has him dying at 39. Now, either way, you could say Samson lived fast and died young. Oh, what might have been. You see, no one in the entire Bible, except for Jesus himself, had a better start than Samson. <laughs> now, there certainly were other miraculous births in Scripture that have similarities to Samson, like Isaac and Samuel and John the Baptist. But all of those births were tainted by sin. Remember Isaac's mom, Sarah? She laughed in Genesis 18 when she was told she would give birth at 90 years old. Samuel's dad, Elkanah, has two wives, causes all kinds of conflict in that home, 1 Samuel 1. John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, refuses to believe the angel's message that they're having a baby. Luke chapter 1 promptly loses his voice. In contrast to them, Samson's parents not only believe the angel's message, they want him to come back and tell them more. Today, I want to look first at Samson's strengths, Judges 13. Then we will look at Samson's weakness, Judges 14 and on. And as we do this, I want to encourage you to think about your own strengths that God has given you. You may want to jot those down in the margins. But later, I want you to do the same thing with your weaknesses. We all have them, don't we? And a wise person will ask God, Lord, help me to overcome these. Now let's look first at Samson's strengths. I'm going to touch on three of them. Starting with a disciplined upbringing. Samson's parents were not blessed with children until God surprised them. And God does that sometimes. The angel of the Lord says to them, Judges 13.3, You are sterile and childless, but you're going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that he drinks no wine or other fermented drink, in that you do not eat anything unholy, unclean. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, <coughs> set apart to God from birth. According to Numbers chapter 6, most Israelites made the Nazarite vow voluntarily. And most of them did it for a definite period of time. But Samson was born into the Nazarite vow, involuntarily, and it was for his entire life. Even while he was in the womb, Samson's mom was not to drink wine or eat unclean foods. So he is set apart to God, even in his mother's womb. As he grew up, the Nazarite vow would have been embedded in him. No wine, no razor, no touching dead stuff. Every little boy likes to touch dead stuff, right? 
Now, let me ask you today. Did you grow up in a home with lots of discipline? If you were raised in a home with certain expectations about your behavior and certain consequences if you didn't meet those expectations, you were actually a very blessed person. Here's what the Bible says, Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Proverbs 29, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Proverbs 12, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Proverbs 22, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. So how do you do that? (laughs) Of course, we all know there are a lot of debates about whether to spank your kids or not. But here's what I found. The first and most important thing is to know your child. Study them. Understand how they process life. And then administer consequences for their bad behavior in such a way that they emotionally and physically feel the sting of their bad behavior, hopefully so that it becomes distasteful to them. As for Samson, we have every reason to believe that he had a disciplined upbringing. So that's the first strength that Samson had. Now the second is this, godly guidance. Verse 8, Samson's dad, Manoah, prays to God. He's seeking wisdom and raising his son. In verse 12, Manoah asks the angel, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? Manoah wants to know exactly how to be a good dad, how to teach his son, how to train his son. Clearly, Samson would have been given godly guidance as a young boy. Verse 17 clarifies that Manoah was the one who took, was one who took his faith seriously. He asked the angel, what is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? So he wanted to honor the Lord. And that's exactly what he does in verse 19. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering, and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. Now, I have mentioned to you before that this phrase, angel of the Lord, that phrase most likely refers to a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, an appearance of Jesus before he's born in Bethlehem. Now, remember, Jesus is eternal. He was there at creation. He's there throughout the Old Testament, different ways. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, born in Bethlehem and on. In other words, this angel of the Lord is not an ordinary angel. In fact, the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar, Genesis 16, to Abraham, Genesis 22, to uh, Moses, Exodus 3, to Gideon, Judges 6, Several other times in the Old Testament. 
it's never an ordinary angel. This angel is regarded as God himself. And of course, Jesus is God. That's why Manoah says in verse 22, we are doomed to die, we have seen God. Everything that we read in Judges 13 would lead us to believe that Samson was raised with this healthy balance of discipline and love. Now that is actually one area where the research has been fairly consistent. The Human Flourishing Program at Harvard University has found homes that are high in discipline and high in love produce the healthiest children. Researchers call this the authoritative style of parenting, as opposed to the authoritarian style of parenting, high discipline, low love, you know, like you're in the army, reporting for duty. <laughs> the biggest surprise in their research is that the second best parenting styles was researchers call the permissive style of parenting, high love and low discipline. Not surprisingly, the worst style of parenting is the low love, low discipline style. <laughs> Just let the kid raise himself. That's called the neglectful style. Now, the takeaway from this is that kids need both, love and discipline. But if you are going to err as a parent, err on the side of love, which is exactly what the Bible teaches, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Oh, I'm so thankful for that verse as a daddy. <laughs> Oh, love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, I find it interesting that we have a hint in verse 23 that Samson's mom may have been a bit more merciful than his dad. His dad thought God was going to strike him dead because they had seen God with their own eyes. But mom says, you know, if the Lord meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things or now told us this. You see, mom understood God is not only a God of truth and justice, he's also a God of grace and mercy. So I think Samson grew up with godly guidance that it would have contained a healthy blend of both grace and truth. This too was a strength that Samson had. Maybe you were blessed with that as well. Did you, and maybe you had multiple people in your life that spoke grace and truth to you. Maybe your parents weren't real good at that, but maybe you had siblings or relatives or people in your church or mentors at school or coworkers who also blended this grace and truth and if that was your experience, you were very blessed. Now, the third strength that Samson had was spiritual power. Back in verse 5, we're told that Samson is set apart from birth. We're told that he would begin the deliverance of Israel from the Philistines. In verse 24, we're told that his mother named him Samson, 
which means little son, S-U-N. He was destined to be a ray of sunshine, not only for his parents, but the entire Israelite nation. In this way, he's a forerunner of Jesus because Jesus is called the bright and morning star, Revelation twenty-two sixteen. Verse 24 also says of Samson, he grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. You know, when Sue and I were raising our kids, we were powerfully impacted by John Trent and Gary Smalley's book, The Blessing. Oh, thank God for that book. You know, what, what does it mean to be blessed? You know, that's kind of one of these religious words we throw around a lot. But what does it actually mean? Trent and Smalley teach that giving someone the blessing consists of five elements. The first, meaningful touch, affirming non-sexual touch. The second, a spoken message, Talk to them and speak words of grace and truth into their lives. The third, attaching high value by prizing them, showering them with unconditional love. Fourth, picturing a special future for them and then showing them how they can use their gifts for his glory. And then five, an active commitment. Intentionally and repeatedly following through on your promises. Can I ask you today, were you blessed by family and friends as you grew up? And as you transitioned into adulthood? You know, I once compiled a list of 10 men who have most impacted my life. And my guess is that each of us could compile a list such as this. Not all of us had ideal storybook childhood. But here's what you need to know. If you truly surrender to the Lord, if you truly place your trust in him, God has an amazing way of blessing you. And many times he does that through others, other than your parents and family. The Apostle Paul grew up in a very strict household. Lots of rules. High discipline, you know, in the army. He was trained as a Pharisee. Even when he got saved, he still had a lot of hardship. In fact, he had a lot of enemies right out of the gate. But he also now had a lot of friends. In fact, he had a whole army of friends. And in Philippians 1.3, Paul begins his letter by telling his friends, I thank my God every time I remember you. You know, Paul could have complained about many different people. Many different circumstances. I mean, after all, you know what? When he wrote these words, he wrote the whole book of Philippians when he was in prison. And he certainly was in prison unjustly. 
So he could have complained about a lot of things, but Paul chose to be thankful and grateful. And the first thing he's thankful and grateful for are people who have spoken grace and truth into his life. Now with Samson, he grew up with every spiritual advantage you can imagine. He was miraculously conceived, chosen by God, set apart to serve God, blessed and shaped by the Holy Spirit as he grew. In short, he had everything going for him. But the sad fact is, he squandered all of it, all of these blessings, by succumbing to his weaknesses and his temptations. So let's turn to Samson's weaknesses. I'm going to highlight three of them that we see in chapter 14 and on. The first is lustful indulgence. Chapter 14 begins like this. Samson went down to Timnah, which was near Gaza, and saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as a bride. For Samson, this was the first step in a long downward spiral. Verse 3 indicates that Samson's parents, they were shocked. Samson was supposed to deliver his people from the Philistines, but now he wants to marry one of them. So they begged him to reconsider. But Samson would have none of it. Verse 3 ends with the words, she's the right one for me. The ESV says, she is right in my own eyes. Boy, does that verse fit in with our world today, right? People say, you know, I have my truth and you have your truth, so don't try to impose your truth on me. Elisa Childers wrote a whole book about this. It's a great book. It's called Live Your Truth and Other Lies. You see, this is what Samson was doing. He was living his own truth. His parents didn't like it. And you know what? It's even more important. God didn't like it. How do we know that? Because 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? This was the same thing that God told the Israelites. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 2. You must not intermarry with them, the foreign nations, because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. Samson was to be set apart to God, according to Judges 13.5. So why on earth is he now pursuing a Philistine woman who's worshiping pagan gods? By doing so, Samson reveals two things about his character. First, he's impulsive, completely controlled by his lust, sees a beautiful woman, has to have her. And this won't be the first time. 
The second character quality that comes shining through is that he is unteachable. His parents speak truth into his life, and you know what he does? Blows them off. This is especially problematic since in Israelite society, the father was the head of the family. And interestingly, the father would ordinarily either choose a wife for a son or at least pay, uh, play a major role in that process. We know that because that's what Abraham does for Isaac in Genesis 24. He sends his servant back to their homeland to get Rebekah as a wife, brings her back and introduces her to Isaac. We see this again in Genesis 38.4. Judah chooses a wife for his son. Samson does the exact opposite. He blows off his parents. And he makes the worst possible choice in picking a Philistine woman as his bride. But amazingly, God is still gracious and God works even through Samson's weakness in order to orchestrate a blood feud between the Israelites and the Philistines. Because you know what had happened? The Israelites had basically assimilated into the Philistine culture. So God used Samson's sexual appetite to bring about a division. It had to come. And that division continues to our present day. And you can watch TV this afternoon and watch it. Eventually, we will see that it is Samson's lustful indulgence that will seal his fate. It will ultimately lead to his death. The lesson for us is that nothing will seal your fate faster than lustful indulgence. It will destroy you. Which is why the Lord sets up such clear boundaries around the gift of sex. Now you can certainly break them, many do. But eventually, sooner or later, you'll pay a high price for that. Now let's move on to the second weakness we see in Samson in chapter 14. His second weakness is a violent temper. Samson's new wife betrays him. She uh, shares the answer to a mysterious riddle. And she shares it with her own Philistine people, embarrasses Samson, and in response, Samson blows a gasket. Verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came down upon him in power, and he went down to Ashkelon. Ashkelon saw that city in the news not too long ago. It's an Israeli city now. Okay? And he struck down 30 of their men. The Bible says he was burning with anger. Samson is sort of like a time bomb, waiting for someone to light the fuse. 
Ironically, once again, the Lord uses Samson's weakness. Verse 19, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. You see, what God is doing here, he's using not only Samson's lustful indulgence, but he's also using Samson's impulsive rage to create a permanent wedge between the Philistines and the Israelites. It had to happen. In Judges 15.4, we see another glimpse of Samson, the hothead. He catches 300 foxes. Now, can you imagine this? He catches 300 foxes, ties their tails together, and puts a lit torch right in the middle. Now, maybe you had some high school friends that would think of something like that, right? <laughs> I can think of a few that would think of something like that. And, and, and then he turns these foxes loose in the Philistine fields and it burns up all their crops. Philistines are furious. And they retaliate. Which leads Samson to lash out once again on this vengeful bloodbath. Finally, in verse 13, the Philistines attempt to take him prisoner. They get him all tied up. But once again, Samson explodes with rage, takes the jawbone of a donkey, and kills a thousand Philistines. Verse 15. Did you know that God will even take your weaknesses and he will use them to bring about his purposes? He does that. And that is true. But we must also remember, at the same time, Samson is self-destructing, okay? You know, I, I love the story of gospel singer Ethel Waters, product of a teenage rape. Sad, sad story. In fact, some sources say that her mom was only 12. Her biological father had nothing to do with her, then her mother marries another man and abandons her. So Ethel basically is raised by her grandma. And yet this is the lady, wonderfully converted to Christ and became a beloved gospel singer at Billy Graham Crusades all across America. Oh, I still remember her singing, his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Oh, precious. Can God use sinful behavior for his purposes? Absolutely. And yet, are those who sin still responsible for their sin? Absolutely. So Samson's lust plus his violent temper ultimately lead him to his demise and that is due to one glaring other weakness, which was deadly overconfidence. <clears throat> now, Judges 16 begins with these words. One day, Samson went to Gaza. Yep. Three of the 20 mentions of Gaza in Scripture are in the story of Samson. He went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. 
The scripture says the people of Gaza were told Samson is here. So they surround the place, lay in wait from him all night. They made no move during the night, saying at dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lays there only until the middle of the night, and then he gets up, he takes hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts, you can imagine those being pounded into the ground, he tears them loose, bar and all, and he lifts them on his shoulders and carries them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron, Israelite city. Now here's what's amazing. You gotta see this. Do you know how far it is? Now, you might need uh, a, a binoculars to see this. But we have Gaza City there, and we have Hebron, okay? And uh, they are separated by about 40 miles. So he carries this heavy gate and the posts on his shoulders for 40 miles. Now, if he did that today, he'd be in the Guinness Book of World Records. This has to be a feat unmatched by any human being in history. And it is this episode that sets up the final chapter of Samson's life that begins with Delilah. We're going to look at that next week. And we'll also see the third mention of Gaza because Samson dies in Gaza. So you see, by the time Judges 16 rolls around, Samson thinks he is untouchable, thinks he is invulnerable, and it marks the beginning of the end for him. Oh, friends, beware of deadly overconfidence. I close with this. Now, I will readily admit I'm a John F. Kennedy assassination junkie. I'm a sucker for every new movie, every new documentary about the death of JFK. The Sixth Floor Museum at Dealey Plaza in Dallas is probably my all-time favorite museum. Absolutely fascinating. Even Sue liked it. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Kennedy was a modern-day Samson. Minus the muscle, add the charisma. Okay? And you know what? Boy, did it get him into trouble. He was a pathological womanizer from the time he was a teenager to the very end of his short life. He went from woman to woman to woman with reckless abandon. In fact, reckless abandon describes his entire life. He was given the last rites of the Catholic Church at least four times as an adult. Think about that. All of this came out after, you know, his assassination. One biographer called him a medical marvel because he was kept alive by a complicated daily combination of pills administered by Max Jacobson, who was a celebrity physician known as Dr. Feelgood. On November 18, 1963, four days before Dallas, 
JFK tells his secret super service supervisor, Floyd Boring, to stand down. He says, the agents need to drop back in the motorcade. And he goes up to Floyd and he says, it's excessive, Floyd. It's giving us the wrong impression to people. We've got an election coming up, and the whole point is for me to be accessible to the people. You see, like Samson, Kennedy suffered from deadly overconfidence. Samson had his strength. Kennedy has his charisma. Neither of them thought the rules applied to them. You know what the Bible says, folks? Pride goes before a destruction. Haughty spirit before a fall. Samson thought, found that out way too late. But you know what? Doesn't need to be you. Are you aware of your strengths and weaknesses? Are you aware of your need for God every single day? And I, I can tell you this as a pastor, I need God every single moment. That one email can, you know, send me off into a tizzy. <laughs> you know, I need the Lord every single moment. So let's call on him right now.